Welcome to the Fearless Vampire Podcast. I'm on a heartfelt mission through the art of conversation and storytelling to inspire women to pursue their creative entrepreneurial journey with reckless abandon. I'm your host, Taylor, a six-figure photographer and business coach based in Colorado. I'm a right-brain mompreneur to two toddler boys, devoted deep conversation holder, and your personal alpaca cuddle liaison. My hope is that you leave our time together feeling empowered and energized to build your dream life. Learn more at fearlessvampire.com. Assume nothing, question everything. James Patterson. One of the best things I've done, I believe, in my 10 years as an entrepreneur is literally questioning everything. I have questioned everything from the beginning of my business, from running a business itself, parenting, what marriage should look like, my own beliefs, religion, a nine to five expectations, cultural expectations, and even things like what time I go to the grocery store. I certainly believe it's one of the best characteristics of an entrepreneur, but it does make our life a little bit harder. Having the ability to go against the grain is really challenging in a culture that really rewards people who join the rat race, who looks financially successful, who buy the, you know, cookie cutter home. And if you own and if you own a cookie cutter home, if you are working in nine to five, I have nothing against that. It is just not the life that I was created for. Now, once I was in business, this was really, really hard to question everything because there were experts, and I use air quotes, who looked super successful. I looked up to them, even though their way of doing business really didn't sit well with me. However, early on in my career back in 2012, I was terrified to do things differently. I was afraid that I would either one, rock the boat and make enemies before I had even made friends in this um, this career choice that I was moving into as an entrepreneur, or two, I was going to totally fail. I really didn't trust my gut, even though my gut was telling me to do business in a certain way and to run my life in a certain way. I was really tempted to just stick with looking at what other people were doing and follow suit. But now that I'm older and wiser, I would love to share 10 popular entrepreneurial beliefs or pieces of advice that I wholeheartedly disagree with. We're going to jump right in here. The first piece of advice that I, oh, it just gives me the heebie-jeebies. Like legitimately, I get the heebie-jeebies whenever I hear a mentor or an expert using this advice is that you have to use scare tactics to grow. Now, what's a scare tactic? A scare tactic is whenever people use one of my least favorite least favorite two words paired together, pain points. What are their pain points? What are their pain points? Can you figure out their pain points and then speak to their pain points? Pain points are what mentors use to, you know, really pull at somebody's heartstrings, but not in a very sincere way. They, they, they look at it as a fear-based decision. So how can I get somebody to make a fear-based decision because I'm speaking directly to their pain points? 
One of the other scare tactics that I've seen people use is telling people that they're going to raise their prices. Now, I'm a photographer. I'm also a business coach. And I see this a lot in the coaching world, especially. Like, if you don't book by this date, well, the prices are going to go up and you're going to miss out on this great deal. Another thing that I see people use as a scare tactic is not having enough space. Well, if I book this this many people, then I'm not going to have space for you. And I can almost guarantee that most people, um, whether you're a contractor, a coach, um, in the service-based industry, most people can and will make space for more people, for more business, especially if they're doing it from a space of like altruism, like people that they really love, they really want to serve, they really want to give what they have to offer, they will find space for you. Now, of course, there are um, there are industries like, again, I'm, I'm a wedding photographer, so I'm kind of in, in this wedding industry. If a venue gets booked on September 23rd, well, that date is no longer available. So there are times when this makes sense, but using scare tactics like, well, I might get booked. I've had photography students ask me this question. You know, if, if I've talked to a couple and I haven't heard back from them in a week, can I email them? and tell them that somebody else reached out about their date, immediately I tell them no, that is a terrible idea. Because myself, whenever I was a bride and I was looking for a photographer, I probably emailed, you know, people from all over Colorado, all over Wyoming, all over Utah and Arizona. I mean, I hit every surrounding state in the state of Colorado trying to find a wedding photographer. And out of all those people, there were a handful of photographers who emailed me two days later saying, hey, Taylor, I just want to let you know that somebody reached out about your date. Okay, then book them. Like, I, if I haven't reached out to you, that's like, take a hint. And so are there times? Yes, of course, there's times. If, if, if I had a call with a couple and I want to give them a little bit of time to make a decision and somebody actually does reach out, I will tell them, hey, I'm not trying to make you guys um, make an impulse decision, but I did want to let you know somebody's interested in your date and I do need to get back to them by the end of the day tomorrow. Can you please let me know if you want to move forward or not? But I have only had to do that maybe three times in my entire 10 years of shooting full time. So lying about getting booked or running out of spaces or whatever it is, running out of inventory, if you lie about that, that will come back and bite you. People are whole and autonomous beings who can make their own decisions. Now, let me repeat that. People are whole and autonomous human beings who are incredibly capable of making their own decisions. They don't need you to bring a scare tactic into your business model to make them feel guilty and make a fear-based decision to work with you. So first piece of advice or first belief in entrepreneurship that I wholeheartedly disagree with is that you use that the, is that you have to use scare tactics to grow. Completely disagree with that. The second one, this will not shock you. If you have been following me for an extended period of time, this will not shock you. But one piece of advice, if you have not been following me for a long time, is to not put your prices on your website because why? You'll miss out on an opportunity to connect with the potential client. To me, this feels so uncomfortable, so just like, Oh, like I, I can't even come up with the word for it. I 
always encourage entrepreneurs to put their prices on their website or at minimum. And I don't even necessarily, I don't necessarily agree with this method either, but at minimum have a starting price. But I always tell my students, anybody that I'm talking to, who's an entrepreneur friend, who's like, Hey, sales are low, or I'm not getting, I'm not booking what I thought I was going to. My first question is, do you have your prices on your website? Have you given people all the information that they need? And this goes back to that scare tactic of not putting your prices on your website. You're not going to miss out on an opportunity to connect with people. I use this example all the time. We have so many inquiries and so many dates that we can take as as wedding photographers. And so if I had to reply to every single inquiry that came in asking me for my prices, I would have to send, I don't even know how many emails a week because people's first stop on our website after the homepage is our pricing page. People are looking for information. Everybody has a budget. Budgets are not bad. Whatever industry you're in, people have an idea of what they're capable of spending, what they're willing to spend, and they just need all the information to empower them to make the decision of whether or not they can work with you. Now, Again, this is a, this is a really vulnerable space, but again, it is so important to have your prices on your website. It's going to cut down the amount of work that you have to do as an entrepreneur when you're not replying to people and getting go- like just getting ghosted, straight up ghosted. It's going to boost your confidence because your booking rate is going to go up. Believe it or not, if you give people all the information that they need to work with you, your booking rate will go up. And you will immediately have built a foundation of trust with the people that you're working with when you give them, once again, all the information that they need. Because why? Because they are whole and autonomous human beings who can make their own damn decisions. They are not toddlers. The third piece of advice, popular piece of advice that I 100% disagree with, and part of this is because I am a designer. But thinking that a landing page or a social media page is a website, this is not the case. I have seen so many entrepreneurs who, in lieu of having a website that educates people and invites them in, they just have a landing opt-in page or they're immediately directed to an application to fill out to work with them. This is not a website. A website should do a lot of things. And I would love for you to reference episodes. There's a Fearless 15 episode where I talk about the five elements you need for a converting website. And then there's also an episode with Erin Schmelich with Hello Rising Tide. We will link them both in the show notes. Go listen to those. If you need to build a website, go listen to those two episodes and your wheels will start turning. You'll get a ton of information about websites, building, what you need to have on your website and the purpose of your website. But truthfully, the purpose of your website is it should be the living room of your business, number one. Number two it should be your first and sometimes only employee. So if all you have is a landing page or worse, you're directing people to an Instagram page or a TikTok page, that is not a website. And I completely disagree with this belief that you do not need a website. If you think about your website 
as the living room of your business? Well, what happens in the living room of your home? Relationships are built. Meals are eaten together. People get to know you. They learn information about you. They decide if they want to carry on with this friendship or relationship or not. That's what your website does. It's the living room of your business. And it's up to you to make sure that there are pillows, that there are places to sit, that it it makes sense, that it's designed well, that there's blankets if they're cold. It's up to you to really invite people into your business and into your life. And you do that by way of a website. The fourth popular belief that I completely disagree with, and I kind of had to go through my own soul searching in the last couple of years with this is that five or six figures is the benchmark for success. Now, I say that I had to go through this over the last few years because for a long, like I'm a very high-performing, high-achieving woman. And I am confident enough to say that because I'm very driven. I know that anything that I want, I will go get because I'm willing to put in the work and just do the thing and make it happen. We have started, my, and when I say we, I mean my husband and I have started so many businesses. We've just pursued so many endeavors. At age 30, I decided I want to learn how to mountain bike. Right now I'm taking up rock climbing. I mean, there's just so many things that I feel really confident in doing and knowing that I will, I will exceed those goals. And so when I got into this headspace, because it was a popular belief that I had to make six figures to be considered successful, I was killing myself as a photographer. I was literally killing myself. This is a story for a different day, but I did go blind in my right eye in 2021 because of the stress that I had put on myself to continue basically outperforming myself from the previous year. And I had to have a real come to Jesus conversation with myself and go, what actually does success look like for me? What are the pillars of success for me? And are they actually financial? Now there's a lot of, you know, quote unquote experts out there telling people that you have to make six figures to be successful. Or even this is where my head really took a spin. Seven figures is like the new benchmark. Millionaires making a million dollars on your business. Once I started listening to podcasts about how to be a millionaire, how to run a million dollar business, I was like, Am I actually doing this? Am I actually going to sacrifice the next however many years of my life to make a million dollars when initially my benchmark for success was $30,000? If I could just make what I was making in the corporate world, I'd be happy. And then I needed to make 70 and then I needed to make 100. Then I needed to make multiple six figures. Then I needed to like, am I really going to like move into that world of now having to have a million dollar business because listen up folks, it does not get easier. At no point are you going to go, I've made enough. There's always going to be another goal unless you check yourself and go, I have enough. So if five or six figures is not the benchmark for success, then what is? And that's something that you have to decide for yourself. For me, we homeschool our kids. And I knew that if I could homeschool my kids and be the one who was raising my kids, to me, that was a benchmark for success. For me, I wanted to live where I wanted to live, in the mountains, in the Rocky Mountains, on land. And guess what? I'm doing it. And in t- and I also have you know alpacas and goats and chickens and a dog and a partridge and a pear tree. So that was my idea of success. I want to be able to travel anytime and anywhere I want to. 
And I can for my for my lifestyle. I can choose not to book weddings. I can choose not to host a um, a retreat, or I can choose not to host a group coaching course. I get to design my life into me. That is my pillar of success. And so there, I do have an episode, and I will link it in the show notes on how to become a badass decision maker. And it's one of the earlier episodes, but in there I talk about how to come up with your pillars of success that kind of act as a moral compass for you in your life and in your goal setting. So again, number four, popular belief that I disagree with is that you have to make five or six figures to be successful. Number five is you must live and die by social media trends or risk falling by the wayside. Now, once again, I went to the quote unquote experts and looked at what they were doing and everyone was jumping on these stupid trends. At least to me, they were stupid. They were stupid dances, stupid reels, stupid TikTok, stupid audio. And I finally, finally, two years after freaking reels came out and TikTok really started to take off, I finally went, you know what? This doesn't feel good. What does feel good is face to camera. And I always knew that face to camera felt good to me, as far as literally just looking into the camera and teaching people and talking about what I think is important and giving them just free information about whatever it is that I'm teaching on, that's what resonated with me, but that doesn't trend. Now, I I have a lot of beliefs about trends and social media, but I'm not a huge believer in having a ton of followers who are just there sucking up air because I made like a trendy video. I'm not down with that. I would rather have people there who are invested in building a relationship with me, who are really interested in what I'm talking about and what I'm teaching, not because I was able to master some dance moves and then put my own like quote unquote twist on it. I was in a clubhouse, which again is another one of those social media platforms that I was like, really clubhouse? Like, do I have to be on everything? But I was in a clubhouse meeting and I was talking to a, you know, quote unquote Instagram expert who had grown exponentially. And I said, um, I said, I'm not really on board with this trending stuff. And she was like, well, you're going to have to get on board or you're going to, or you're not going to be successful. And I was like, well, that, that doesn't feel right. And she was like, oh yeah, it's because you're creative and you have to be authentic or something like that. And I, I mean, I immediately was seeing red like, well, yeah, of course. Like I, I want to be authentic. I want to create meaningful, impactful um, content and not just follow some trends of what other people are doing and hope that they follow me and like eventually like me because there's a really good chance that if somebody finds you because of a trend, they're not going to follow you or give you business or want to work with you. It was just what was trending in the moment. So number five, like a number five belief that you must live and die by social media trends. I completely, completely disagree with number six. And this one is more, This one is controversial for a lot of people because of the direction that social media is moving in. But one of this belief I completely disagree with is that short form is in long form is out. So what does that mean? Short form is reels, TikTok videos, anything that's less than a minute long that captures the attention of your audience long enough for you to pitch them on something or just doing a short form video 
People are saying that that is in. Long form is out. Now, what is long form? Long form, it would, it would be reels versus search engine optimization, reels versus Google, stories on Instagram versus recording a podcast. That's short form versus long form. If you're a photographer, one post versus blogging about it and actually having that long form copy that people can engage with. Now each have their role, of course, short form content can help gain exposure and kind of introduce you to people that are interested in what you're doing. But long form content is what builds trust and relationships. So one of the reasons that I started this podcast is because one, I love talking. Believe it or not, I love talking. Two, there was a ton of information in my head that I really just needed to get out into the world in a way that I could share with people what I know, what I've learned, what I've experienced, and also what the folks that I choose to interview have learned and experienced and what they want to share. But also because I know podcasts build relationships. I know that you might be listening to this and feel like we are in your living room together. Like we have been best buds for a really long time. So I don't agree with the belief that short form is all that there is and you should dedicate all your time to making three reels a day and 10 TikTok videos. I 100% wholeheartedly believe if you are a relationship-centered business, if you are focused on building authentic, real, sincere, pure relationships, long form is the way to go. Now, whether you love writing and do a blog or you love writing and you um, you write a book or a downloadable PDF that people can learn more about you. Maybe you like Pinterest and you really want to start doing pins to help drive traction to your website, to your business. Pinterest is a long form, is a long game. It's like, it's, it's a long game. It's a long end game, but they also have short form content as well. So again, they each have their own role, but long form content certainly is not out. Number seven, this one really gets my goat and makes me want to puke, is whenever people use the word, quote unquote, nurture as a replacement for actually building a relationship. Now, I have heard this word used and abused about as much as the word authentic in the business world. You need to be nurturing people in your DMs. You need to nurture them on your email list. You need to nurture them, bleh. Nurturing to me feels like I'm only going to do this long enough for you to work with me. And then once you work with me, we're, we're all done. Um, for, for me, the word nurture is kind of a replacement for actually building real relationships that lead to real growth and really impacting people's lives. And so this is up for you to decide what you want in your business. If you actually want this like long game of building relationships and having people view you as a, like as an expert, as a reliable entrepreneur, as somebody who is fiercely passionate about what they do, or if you want to be somebody who's just trying to get sales, that's up to you to decide. I can't decide that for you, but stop using the word nurture. It is not a good word. And it is not certainly a replacement for actually building meaningful heart-centered relationships. The eighth popular entrepreneurial belief that I wholeheartedly disagree with is that there is this life-work balance. 
Now, for those of us who are actually in entrepreneurship, we know that there's no balance. There's no balance. For us creative entrepreneurs, these two things, work and life, are so intricately woven together. I can be on the back of a motorcycle with my husband and finally get clarity on a situation that has been stressing me out or a question or a course that I want to create. But I can't separate that. I had to go live my life to finally get clarity on a piece of my business that had been woven into my life. Or I could be playing cards with my boys and simultaneously have to send an email to a bride. Um, I don't like to do this, but there are times when I'm in that busy season that I'm playing with my kids and I have to get up and I have to email a wedding planner or a student or somebody who's been trying to reach me or somebody calls me and I have to answer the phone. There is no such thing as a work-life balance, but you can marry the two and you can find times that you set aside to really separate the two. But I totally disagree with this belief that there's a balance. As a mom who works from home and runs multiple businesses, I love that my kids get to see me doing what I love. I love that they get to see me thriving as a photographer and as a mentor and helping other photographers, I'll even get off the, off of a call, um, a group coaching call. And my son will go, mommy, what did, what did you talk about with your photographer friends today? What are, what are you teaching them this week? And he gets so excited to learn about what I'm doing. And I just think what a disservice that would have been for him to not see his mom following her passion, doing what she loves and get to witness it and give him the confidence to pursue what he wants to do and be able to do it with the same amount of passion in his life and in work and really just marry the two together. There are plenty of times that Mike and the boys come to photo shoots with me. And I love it. I love that they're there. I love that my boys get to see to see what I'm doing, to see what, what lights me up, to see what I look like when I put my photographer hat on versus when I'm at home playing cars. They just get to see different, um, different variations of who I am. And that brings me so much joy. So the eighth belief that I disagree with is that there is this elusive work-life balance that we have to master or we're terrible people, we're terrible partners, terrible parents, terrible friends, daughters, sons, whatever. There is no balance. You just have to figure out what works for you and how, how woven you want those two areas to be. The ninth piece of advice or belief, I guess, this is more of a belief that I disagree with, is that there should be shame in simply going through the motions. There are a lot of entrepreneurs that believe unless you're an expert, a master, have been doing this for decades, that you have no space here. Believing it as an entrepreneur, believing that you belong somewhere isn't enough. You can't believe your way into like actually doing something. You have to actually act on it. So sometimes, yes, you need to do the bare minimum and go through the motions to get there. Now, what do I mean by that? As a photographer, I really wanted to start living this life of photography while I was still working nine to five. And there were plenty of people who believed that you couldn't be a photographer unless you quit your job. You couldn't be a photographer unless you went to school for photography. You couldn't be a photographer without more lenses than one or a 150 millimeter lens. 
I just had to start going through the motions and believing I was a photographer. I would take a day off of work and go, okay, what would my life look like today if I was doing this full time? I would get up, I would make coffee, maybe I'd go to yoga or work out, and then I'd edit. And I loved editing at that point in my career. Like my dream day was sitting and editing all day long. And so going through the motions is not a bad thing. It starts to level up your energy and your vibrations. And it tells the universe, hey, I am ready for more. Whenever I started thinking about what I did want my next financial goal to be without killing myself to get there, I knew that I was going to have to change the way that I lived and start actually going through the motions. And so whenever I started thinking, well, I would love to make X amount of money, You know what I did? The first thing I did was I went out and I tipped somebody. I tipped a server. I tipped my barista more than I normally would have. Maybe I I tipped um, a server one night. It was just me eating out and I tipped my server 50% because I was like, you know what? If I'm going to tell the universe that I am ready for more income, that I am ready to take on more, um, more financial independence, I need to start going through the motions and acting like I already have it. And that's going to let you know your higher power know or my higher power know I'm ready for this. So there is no shame in going through the motions and pretending like you're already living this next chapter that you want, whether it's getting paid to travel or, you know, starting a new business that nobody's ever done before, or just listening to that gut feeling that big change is about to come, whatever it is, start going through the motions and just see how it feels. You do not have to be an expert. You do not have to have it all figured out. You just need to start believing that it's already happening and you need to get on board with what's already happening and it will show up for you. Now, the last and final popular entrepreneurial belief that I disagree with is that sales should feel slimy. And again, if you've been following me for any amount of time, you know my thoughts on sales and what selling should feel like and what it should not feel like. Now, as a business coach, I get this question a lot from my students just asking, why do sales feel so slimy? I don't want to be a slime ball. I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable when I sell to them. So this is something that came up over and over and over again in my coaching. And my response to that is sales isn't slimy if you're doing everything from a pure space. Now let's go back to, um, to numbers one, two, and seven. Number one, you have to use scare tactics to grow. Are you doing that? Because if you are, then yeah, of course sales is going to feel slimy. Number two, did you put your prices on your website or are you leaving out a really important piece of information? And number seven, are you nurturing the relationship in lieu of actually building a relationship? If those three elements are out of alignment with what you actually believe and what actually feels good for you and your energy and your business, then of course sales is going to feel slimy, but it doesn't have to. Booking clients and making sales should feel outrageously rewarding. You should be screaming from the, from the rooftops, I'm helping some make somebody's life better. I did it. Selling should feel like an invitation to a dinner party. It should go something like this. Hey, I'm offering this thing at this time. This is the cost and this is what's on the menu. You in? How does that feel? That feels like an invitation. Why would that feel slimy? You gave them all the information. You're putting the ball in in their court. 
if like if if you put it in a real life situation, if you were having a dinner party and you just said to a friend, "Hey, you want to come over for dinner?" When is it? I don't know. What are we eating? Oh, you'll find out. Okay, what do I need to bring? Mmm, you pick. How uncomfortable, right? And so when you view sales like a dinner party and inviting somebody in, how uncomfortable to not have all the information that you need to make an educated decision that is in your best interest and that person's best interest and anybody involved. One of the reasons that I really struggle with people who don't give out all the information and sales does feel kind kind of slimy is because me and my partner, me and my husband talk about everything financially. And I've, I've, I've heard the argument that, you know, well, shouldn't your partner just support your dreams come hell or high water? And I'm like, he does. But we do also have family financial goals and things that we want to do as a family. And I need all this information so that we can make a decision together. And so that's one of the reasons that I totally preach giving people all the information that they need so that sales doesn't feel slimy. And so they don't feel like they were slighted and not given all the information. Because typically, there's more than one person involved in this decision, whether it's a time commitment, a financial commitment, whatever it is that you're offering, there's typically more than one person involved. And so sales should not feel slimy. Sales should feel like an invitation. Now, I hope this was helpful for you. I know that there are millions of different beliefs and pieces of advice. And honestly, it's really overwhelming as an entrepreneur when you're starting out and you're getting advice poured into you from a million directions. Seriously, go onto Instagram or TikTok and just type in business or entrepreneur life and you're going to get tons. You're going to get inundated with so much information about the right way to do things and the wrong way to do things. So I just wanted to point out the 10 things that show up in my life on a daily basis that I really don't agree with. And they have served me, me leaning into my own leadership style and what feels good to me in business and relationship building as an entrepreneur. Leaning into that has empowered me so much to really just launch and do any business that I can dream of because I do have the ability to sit with myself and go, does this feel right? Other people are doing it this way. I don't feel good about that. What feels right to me? And am I going to make billions? Probably not. And that's okay. I don't want to make billions because I don't think that the approach that I would have to take would feel good to me to make billions of dollars. It, 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 it would take out a really key component of my business. And that is following my own intuition. And I'm afraid I would have to give up and sacrifice some of that to hit a financial point that I really don't want to be at because I don't want to make myself sick doing it. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I cannot wait to talk to you next time on the Fearless Vampire Podcast.